Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson talking some UNC football. So guys, it has been a long offseason so far. Been a while since all three of us got together to talk, but the winter workouts are about to get started. So let's go ahead and just start there. Um, you know, EJ, since you were a little bit late to join the podcast due to some technical difficulties, <laughs> I'll give you the benefit of starting first here, man. So on the defensive side of the ball, you know, when you guys were going through winter break in December, early January, you know, what, what was kind of the process for you guys when it came time to look around and say, oh, crap, winter workouts starting like a week or two. Maybe we should start getting back on the treadmill and, you know, stop eating out so much. <laughs> that was a big issue for us uh, my first two years playing because we weren't in any, in, in any bowl games. So we hadn't played football really since around thanks since Thanksgiving weekend. So we were notorious, especially the defensive line, and Mike can attest to this. We were notorious for just being fat, just going home, not doing anything, just going being high school Harrys, being the heroes of the towns we were winning. We grew up in because, I mean, most of us came from small towns, so we didn't really do much. Uh Luckily, when, when we were playing in bowl games, we always played the, the ones we did play. We played after Christmas. So it's a lot easier to motivate yourself uh, to stay in shape. I mean, because you did kind of taste a little bit of success by having the right to play in a bowl game. But you also have that sting of loss and that sting of being so close. So it kind of motivates you to when you go home to do a little bit more. And plus, you only have a week where you're not really being active. So I, it didn't affect me as much. But it does kind of come up on you fast. And I know if you're not prepared for it, it will be painful. Mike, what about you guys on the offensive line? Did you guys uh, also maybe put on a couple extra Christmas pounds there like like the defensive guys were doing? Yeah, EJ makes a really good point. The first couple of years for us, you know, we didn't have a we didn't have a bowl game in 06 or 07. So we were home for an entire month. And a lot of guys that that was sort of bulking season, but not in the way that you want it to be. Uh, it's mostly bulking from laying around and eating bags of potato chips and and not working out because our bodies hurt and we were spending more time trying to just recover from the previous season than we were trying to stay in shape for the upcoming season. Uh, when we had bowl games, it was actually more beneficial for us because we were forced to be on campus. We were forced to go to workouts. We were forced to stay in shape and to be around the program and things like that. So, you know, our nutrition had to stay up to a certain extent. Our training had to stay up to a certain extent. And we had less time after the bowl game. You know, we're talking 10 days, maybe a maximum of two weeks after the game to actually get, you know, of downtime. And though that is enough time to get out of shape, it's not so much time that you cross the point of no return. So, EJ, those years that you guys did not have a bowl game, what was kind of the the working back process to starting those workouts? Like, would the coaches, was there a specific regime, I guess, for those first initial couple of weeks in January when everyone did start doing workouts again? No, Coach C uh, is notorious for not having any mercy. And, and that, that that was good for us because after after the first couple of seasons, we realized that, hey, if we want to be the team that we want to be and that we say that we are and play to the talent level we have, we have to focus on staying in shape during this offseason. Uh, but no, not, nothing was different. We did the same thing. Every People who didn't work out were doing the same thing that uh, people who did work out over the break were doing, except that we were throwing up a little bit more. 
I mean, like it, the the our strength coach put together programs, and you you, speak, you always hear me and Mike speak very highly of Jeff Connors, even though he did <laughs> some of the things we he did and had us do. We thought were crazy at the time, but looking back on it, it made sense. He didn't care. He gave us workout books to go home with and, and work out with over the break. He gave us meal plans. So we had the tools and it was just about us being mature enough to actually stick to that program. So when we came back, uh, it was more so, hey, if you guys didn't work out, I'm sorry, we're going full tilt. And I think that we started to turn the corner when we we took it amongst ourselves and say, hey, we don't want to look bad. We don't want to go in here throwing up. We don't want to disappoint uh, Coach Connors anymore. So I guess I guess it's time to start working out. But, no, there was no adjustment. There was no learning curve. There was no buffer period. It was right back in the hardcore classic Coach C workouts. Mike, I got a question for you, but before I ask it, EJ, so the defensive line, you said you guys kind of packed it on a little bit. What about the other positions on the defense? Who would usually come back overall in, like, the best shape? Um, who would kind of be struggling and throwing up, like you were saying, during the first weeks of the winter workouts? Offensive line typically came back in the best shape, which is part of the reason why we didn't get along much with them because we felt like they were always trying to show us up. But um, And then, honestly, it really was between the offense and the defensive line. The, the, our our skill players are and uh, what we call our combo players, which would be like the tight ends, except for one of one of our friends who played tight end, tight ends, linebackers. They for most for the most part they come back in shape and be able to handle the workouts. I mean, they'd be able to make it through them, but they'd be hurt afterwards. But I would honestly say, like the the dramatic difference was between the offensive line usually being the most overall best condition, and the defensive line was usually the worst. Look at that, Mike. EJ just gave you guys a compliment. Would you agree with that overall assessment? Listen, man, offensive linemen are just more mature. We're more responsible. We hold ourselves accountable Uh... and hold ourselves to a much higher standard than defensive linemen. Defensive linemen are down there in the mud and the muck, and they're just dirty dudes. And offensive linemen, we're we're a little – we're up here. We're in in the, the rarefied air. Right. So what Rich, happened in that one that, that one Christmas break in, in Chapel Ridge? What happened then? I don't want to talk about that. that <laughs> yeah. If you want to know about it, you can go read about it. Okay, those guys have atoned for their sins, and we're not going there. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so, Mike, EJ talked about how you know the team eventually did kind of take a little bit of that personal pride in the offseason workouts, and I don't think it's a surprise that that coincided when you guys started making some bowl games. But in your mind, what was kind of a bigger part of the players coming back in better shape for winter workouts? Was it the fact that you guys had played in a bowl game or was it more on like just individual team leaders kind of stepping up, setting examples and everyone holding themselves accountable? It was a revitalized energy and a a renewed, a renewed sense of urgency in the program to be successful and to win quickly. And that was instilled in us in the, in the new coaching staff that came in. And I imagine that there is, uh, there was probably a similar bump when Fedora's staff came in and, a, and a, I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a similar bump right now as Mac Brown's staff comes in. Um, that excitement uh, kind of juiced you up for the off season and you wanted to come in and put your best foot forward because you knew that this team was number one, going to be good. And number two, you know, you were going to be in a position to play and contribute to that success. So that contributed, I think more than anything else, to this uh, this revamped sense of accountability and 
and as we won games and we saw the fruits of our labor, we saw we saw success come, you know, that that only bred more personal accountability. And you started seeing guys come back every single offseason after the winter break or the winter couple of weeks after a bowl game. Right. You'd see them come back um, in, in better shape, ready to go to the point where that became the norm. And that was the culture, whereas previously it was guys were slacking off. We come back. We got to ease back into these workouts you know, ease back into, you know, in, in, in our mind. Um, but you know, for, for our sakes, it was, we had to basically reacclimate the first week or two back from a break because we hadn't done anything. We just laid around for a month. Um, the norm then became the, the, the cultural shift was we are now in shape, ready to go all year long. There is no, there is no downtime. There really is no off season. We're constantly playing and preparing, um, to win the first game of the season, um, as soon as we get done with the last game of the season, we're prepping for the next season. So that became the cultural norm uh, around the football center. And I think that had a, that had a, a, a profound effect on the sense of personal accountability, uh, particularly in the off season. So EJ, what about the early enrollee guys? So um, I don't, I can't remember off the, off the top of my head too many that happened back when, when you guys were playing, but from what Zach you Pinalto, were... Zach Pinalto, Bruce Carter was actually a gray shirt. He was supposed to come mm-hmm. in in 06, mm-hmm. but he was injured with his knee. Um, was Charlie was Charlie Brown an early enrollee? I can't remember. No, um, Char- uh, Charlie was he? I, I can't I can't remember. It just seems like he was just always there. I don't. Christian <laughs> Christian Christian Wilson was an early enrollee. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, there, there weren't there weren't a ton, but there were some. Well, how how did they how did the early enrollees take the winter workouts? Like, did y'all see that it was more difficult for them, seeing as how they had never been in a college program? Period. Was there a little bit of a steeper curve? And I say that because there's obviously several higher profile kids that are going to be early enrolling in Carolina this year, including quarterback Sam Howell, that was just named the number one recruit in North Carolina for the 2000. 19 recruiting class so you know fans are going to be all about hey these guys are on campus that's awesome and that the expectations i feel are going to be a little bit higher than probably what they should be but ej from what you saw you know how do those guys truly fit into a college program coming straight from high school starting winter workouts well for two of those guys you name uh they'll be named bruce and zach those guys were were just athletic freaks. Like those guys just came in and they fit seamlessly into the into the strength and conditioning program, and they they bought in. Like of course they they struggled a little bit, but they didn't struggle any more than anyone else did. Like when if you saw them working out, you think that they someone they were people who've been in the strength and conditioning program for at least a couple seasons. So uh, for some people, it's a little bit hard to adjust. I mean that that is kind of a culture shock. I mean just a semester ago you were just working out in your high school working out with your high school football team just finishing up the season now you're you're a college you're a college football athlete and there's a lot more expected from you strength uh strength wise speed wise and it can be a lot but the thing about those guys is that if you're willing to come out of school early and be an early enrollee you have to have a certain level of mental toughness to, to really be comfortable enough to make that jump if you're not if you're not intimidated by going through spring ball with guys who've been in a strength and conditioning program for two and three years, I don't think that that's something that's going to intimidate you. And all those guys that we just named from Christian Wilson to, to Zach, to Bruce Carter, those are all major contributors to our team. So 
you can kind of see the, the character of those guys. And we they actually gain more respect amongst the team, knowing that when they came in and they jumped right in and, and they, they made a difference. Like, I mean, if they had to come in and kind of dragged off and were feeling sorry for themselves and making excuses because they're the new guys, it may have been a different story. But I, I didn't really see that. I was actually very impressed with everyone who enrolled early while I was there. Mike, what about quarterbacks in particular? Because being on the offensive line, I'm assuming that, that you guys worked pretty close with them. What about uh, those those younger quarterbacks that came in and had to get acclimated quick to a college football program? Well, you treat – you're talking about for early – like quarterbacks who enroll early like Sam? Yeah, the, the, the early enrollees and just – and you can extrapolate that out to just kids that would come over the summer as well just because, I mean, it's got to be a huge jump for them, I would assume. There is. And if you want to put it in corporate America terms, right, think of coming in as an early enrollee at the quarterback position, coming in for, for the spring, fresh out of high school, in the middle of your high school senior year. Um, you can equate that to an internship, right, at a job. So consider it called a summer internship. So what you're going to get exposed to is you're going to get exposed to uh, the administrative aspects, right, of the job. So where things are, who certain people are, where, you know, where your locker is, where the where the facilities are, how to get around campus, things like that. Uh, stuff that actually does contribute to, I mean, any freshman in college generally, right? Well, it's, it's a little shell shock, right, having to learn all that so quickly, but especially for athletes because you're operating obviously on a truncated schedule every single day. Um, so you get you get that exposure. You also get exposed to, um, it, the, the, the basics of the job, which in this case would be the playbook. So you're going to get exposed to a, 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 a watered down, you're going to get a, a more simplified playbook because one, we work with a more simplified playbook in the springtime. Um, there might be more stuff in it that will ultimately get pulled out, but for the most part, it's bread and butter plays. It's your basics, um, that you're going to stick with throughout the season. Um, and you know, your fun, your fundamental plays and your fundamental schemes, you're going to get exposed to that. And, to a let you know to to an even more you know an exaggerated extent it's going to be real dumbed down because you're probably going to be working with the third or fourth string so you know the, those guys aren't getting the depth of uh input they're not getting the depth of installation that we're getting at least in terms of of reps and exposure in practice um and through team periods and whatnot um so it's you're you're getting a crash course in the basics which then help stave off that learning curve in the summertime. You don't have that. You can now build, you now have a foundation that you can build on going into what will now be your freshman season. And you've got roughly a six month head start or, you know, three or four month head start on your classmates. Um, because while they're coming in in the summertime, um, learning all, all of that stuff, you have already seen it and you are now building on what you already know and you're building on that foundation. So at the quarterback position, that's invaluable. And that's why you see a lot of early enrollees end up playing significant minutes or, or even contributing as starters across the country in different programs as true freshmen, because they had that exposure in the springtime, they staved off that learning curve and they were able to come in and actually play because they had a better, uh, uh, they had a better uh, knowledge base and knowledge foundation uh, going into their freshman year than their than other players, you know, guys that come in in the summertime, you're just you're you're catching up on, under the normal the normal procedure of things. You know, consider early enrollees as getting a head start, but the plan is always for guys to come in in the summertime and 
progress that way in the traditional sense. Um, bigger programs will encourage early enrollees. Um, Florida under Urban Meyer did that a lot. A lot of his guys were early enrollees, and a lot of those early enrollees ended up being All-Americans and NFL draft picks. There is a correlation to that um, just because you get on the field faster. But, you know, again, go back to your original question. With the quarterback position, it's absolutely it's it's invaluable to have that experience if you can swing it. It's also kind of weird because I remember Zach Pinalto going back to Springdale, Arkansas for his prom uh, a month and a half after he got on the campus. So it's just kind of like you're like you're out of high school, but you're not really out of high school because you're still a 17 or 18 year old kid um, who should be going through the spring of your senior year. That's there's there's a developmental component to that that I think gets lost um, just for personal, you know, human development. But um, from a football standpoint. Enrolling early is invaluable. All right. So before we take a commercial break, EJ, just walk us through kind of what the winter workouts are like and how they might differ from the workouts that you guys would do maybe over the summer or even during the actual season. How do I accurately describe the seven levels of hell? No, it was, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's brutal. I mean, the summer workouts are, are bad, but, we're in shape from the winter. So we usually spend probably two and a half hours just in the weight room. So we're doing, we're, we're doing what we call leg death day at the end of the week. We're doing heavy, up, heavy upper body, but I, it feels like every day we were doing something with our legs. We had a regular conditioning. We had speed training and then we had speed conditioning where we want to see how long can you, how long can you be active without getting tired? How fast can you be? And how long can you be that fast? So th- there was a lot of mix of stuff, but there was also a lot of maintenance uh, from the season. So we did a lot of flexibility stuff. Uh, we wanted to make sure that when we really, when we got into spring ball and we started actually playing football, that our, our muscles would be nice and loose and limber. So there was, there was a lot of flexibility in it. I mean, it probably seemed worse than what it was because we were so out of shape from the season, but um, most of it's flexibility, a lot of strength training. That's where a lot of the record you see a lot of the records and weightlifting records get broken. A lot of it is testing. Uh, and Coach C, he was a, he was a genius when it comes to that. He he set us down. He review all of our weightlifting uh, statistics from last year. He review how we how we maintained our weight and maintained our strength during last season. And everyone would have a specific program catered to them. Yes, we'd all do the same same general program but there were certain things that he pull you to the side or break us up into groups if there were things we need to focus on for me i needed to rehab my shoulders make sure my shoulders were stronger so i was in a group that we were doing a lot of shoulder work a lot of work with bands and a lot of isolation dumbbell work there may be some guys that need to get their lower bodies stronger so they would do be doing heavier leg work then you have the hard gainers people who needed to be able to put weight on and maintain that weight. And then you had guys who needed to trim and cut weight. So that was another group. So everything was, it was very personalized uh, during those times. And coach C made sure that he paid attention to what we needed. So, and that's what I really think that, that the winner is about the winner, the winter workouts are about focusing on what can make you better as an athlete. Spring ball is about what can make you better as a player, but those winter workouts leading up to spring ball, is all about how can we rehab your body? How can we make your strengths, your, uh, your, your weaknesses, your strengths as versus the summer where we're really just trying to get fast enough and get in shape to be prepared for the season, to be prepared for training camp. So as hard as and tough as winter was, it was always something that I enjoyed because it really made us mentally tough. 
All right, guys, let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. When we get back, wanted to talk about the new transfer rule because uh, since the offseason has begun, there have just been a ton of kids transferring um, for ACC-related purposes. Virginia Tech got hit hard. There's also been several from Penn State. So wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this. So we will talk about that when we get back from these commercial messages. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. So, guys, let's go ahead and talk about this new transfer rule. And for those that might not be aware what I'm talking about, uh, the NCAA changed it starting with this season where now players can just automatically transfer. They do not have to receive permission from their schools. They can uh, make, they can uh, give their schools notice, and then they enter the NCAA transfer portal which is a kind of a, a national database. We talked about this a little bit off the air. And Mike, I mean, you seem to be kind of just very interested in this and, and kind of the, the concept. And that's probably because you've got the, the legal background here. But, you know, when you were thinking about the ramifications of this, just what popped into your head there, man? Well, you got to think about where this came from. So, and this is, we talked about this off the air. Um, a lot what you saw happening in the in recent years was was players looking to transfer and coaches restricting where they were able to transfer to and so if you were if the, if you wanted to you know if i'm at north carolina and i want to transfer to virginia tech well north carolina might not let me do that because i have we have virginia tech on the schedule the following year um and then the coaches that wouldn't like Dabo sweeney that wouldn't place any restrictions on guys transferring yeah, they were applauded as you know, as as these 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 heroes of athlete rights, and how reasonable are they? And this is this is wonderful and good for you, and pat on the back. Well, it is indicative of the member schools talking out of both sides of their mouths. So when we talk about the NCAA, it's not this ominous organization that exists, you know, in in some tower on a hill, right, with with a moat surrounding it, right? The NCAA is comprised of all the member institutions of the NCA. So when you talk about the NCA, you're talking about UNC. When you talk about the NCA, you're talking about Southern Cal and you're talking about the schools, right? And they're all in, they're all on board until the NCAA infractions committee comes through the door. And then all of a sudden it's them versus the, the NCAA, right? But it's, 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 it, it's, it's a little ridiculous when you see those situations play out because they're basically fighting with themselves. The, the schools are, that is. So when a school restricts a player's mobility, Right. And places restrictions on where that player can transfer to if they want to transfer out. Right. And doing is they're saying we are not going to compensate you. OK, you the the, the value you provide to the school is uh, compensated through the value of your scholarship. You know, that is the value you receive. And that is adequate compensation for the services you provide us. You say, OK, fine. Well, I want to transfer somewhere else. And they say, well, that's OK. You can transfer to A, B and C school, but you can't transfer to D school. What that tells me as a player is that I actually do have some some monetary value attached to my existence and my presence within this program. Right. So. You're telling me that I can't go to school D, but I can go to A, B or C. But then on on the other side, you're telling me that I have no real value to you. Right. And that I'm compensated through my scholarship. Well, if I didn't have value, then why can't I go play for this school? And the reason that you don't want me to go play for this school is because you worry that if I go there. They are now going to have an advantage over your team the following year, and that's going to hurt your chances of winning that game. 
And if you aren't winning games, then ultimately you're not making money as a university. And as a coach, you might lose your job and therefore your salary and your income, right? And it all boils back down to money. And how do we make money? Well, if you're going to tell me that I don't have a value and I am not worth compensating, you can't then tell me I can't go somewhere because what you're telling me is, oh, wait, you actually do have value because you're going to affect my bottom line down the road through wins and losses, potentially. Um, what this did was it eliminated that, right? Um, those restrictions should have never been happening in the first place. Coaches found a loophole uh, where players had to ask permission to transfer, and it's been done away with, and that's the right thing to do. I am all for player mobility. Um, if you're not going to compensate me, that's fine. Allow me to go wherever I want. I will place my name into the transfer portal and I will test the market for my services. And there will be a market for my services. As we're seeing now, you've, you've got a mass exodus of players leaving programs to go elsewhere to better their chances at getting drafted, to better their chances at playing time, right? And they're being released from their scholarship, which apparently was all the value that they were worth to that university. Well, when, when I voluntarily give you back my scholarship, I'm voluntarily giving you back that value, right? Therefore, we've started fresh. You don't have a right to restrict where I'm going. The NCAA recognized right. that, and they finally did something about it. Um, so that's, that's, a long, that's a, my long-winded take on this was the right thing to do. There should have never been transfer restrictions in the first place. Um, and this is a step in the right direction, finally, for the National Collegiate Athletic Association. So, EJ, let me ask you about transfers on the teams that you were on at Carolina. How was that handled internally? Like, do you recall any guys that did transfer? Did they talk about their decision ahead of time, or did it kind of come out of the blue? Well, honestly, I can't remember if anyone transferred while I was there, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that a lot of the guys that were on my team were guys who believed in believed in coach Davis, believed in their teammates and believed in everyone else. Not saying that guys who transfer believe that because I like, I, I agree with Mike. I think the players should be able to transfer, but I'm just speaking for what happened in our locker room. We were a very loyal and, and tight knit group of guys. And I don't think in, anyone who was not playing did not feel like, or did not feel strongly enough that they were getting shorted enough to transfer so i mean our coaches are very open and honest about us if you're not playing they're going to tell you why they'll tell you if it's politics they'll tell you if it's this or that I, i've had those conversations with coaches before so but i honestly think if, if one of my teammates came to me and he told me he wanted to transfer then then i would i would definitely support that because there has to be a reason if you feel like you if you want to be closer to your family if you feel like uh you can have a better opportunity somewhere else if you just want to go to a school that you think you can win a national championship. I, I understand all those things, but it's never really something I, I had experience experience with um, because the only the only transfer that I really dealt with was was a transfer in from LSU, and that was Barrington Edwards. So moving forward, EJ, do you think that this is something that more and more players will utilize, especially in situations where someone may look around and say, hey, I think there's a better opportunity for me elsewhere, so I am going to go ahead and put my name into this transfer portal? Oh, in this day and age, I definitely think so. I mean, you got to think about it like this. These these kids, they know each other from a way younger age. There are kids who are, are maybe seniors or freshmen in college now who are actually getting playing time who've been knowing each other since they were nine or 10 years old, either through social media, through huddle or, or through different 
different social media or different high school recruiting websites. So I think that you'll see a lot more people uh, want, maybe want to team up with their friends. I honestly think that you're going to have more backhanded things happening too. I think you're going to get coaches uh, finding a way to get around all this and get in some of these players ears and say, Hey, come play for me. I got a spot for you or, or things like that. So I'm really interested to see how this is going to play out. I really think it's going to turn into the wild, wild West, but um, I do think it's going to increase. I think you're actually going to see some players from, from Alabama. I think that this may weaken Alabama's stronghold of five-star and four-star recruits because some of these guys are going to say, Hey, I don't. I know I'm going to come here and I'm going to sit the bench for a little while, but I, I'm not willing to do that if I have the option to transfer. So um, I, I think that it will hurt some of the larger programs, and I think you'll see some of these mid-majors and some of these uh, coaches who are a little bit more persuasive get some of these guys coming in because basically what you have the ability to do now is go to a school, maybe get a year or something on tape, and you can open up your recruiting again. So take a two-star or something like that that went to a mid-major college if he comes out and he's one of the top players in the country, he can then say, Hey, I want to transfer. I don't want to go, want to go play in the sec or I want to go play in the ACC. So I think that there's so many different possibilities that can happen uh, because of this ruling. And I'm very excited about it. Right. What you're saying is you think it's going to contribute. It's going to actually, it's going to improve parity in, in the NCAA and in division one college football. And exactly. I think you're, I think you're right because right now we're looking at a two program system. We have Clemson and we have Alabama and there's, Nobody else. There is a huge drop off um, after you after you leave the Clemson, Alabama uh, echelon. There is a huge drop off to the next programs. But cons- consider this, too. So this could also change the way this could change recruiting right from the player's perspective. So you now might have players like you and you, and, you, and you alluded to it. But let me see if I can flesh it out a little bit, a little bit, a little bit deeper. So you might have players who are one stars, two stars that have a, a Division One school, maybe a maybe a mid major school, you know, App App State or somebody takes a flyer on them, right? And they go, we think this kid might be okay. They go to that program and they just light it up for a year. It's a school they never really wanted to go to in the first place. Like a kid ends up at Central Michigan, but he really always dreamed of going to Michigan, right? Well, he goes to Central Michigan and he blows it out of the water as a freshman. Now all of a sudden, eyeballs are on him, okay, and there's a market for him. Right. Think Antonio Brown. OK, goes in, crushes it at a mid at a mid major. If he had the opportunity to transfer without having to get permission, without restrictions. Right. And he also had the he also had the benefit of the new the new NCAA rule of of play less than four games and you can transfer um, you can transfer or excuse me, play less than four games. You can retain your red shirt. OK, if a guy like that had those advantages, he could level up to another school. Okay, and what this will end up what this will end up doing is it'll make the it'll make it'll 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 create more opportunities for players. Okay, to ultimately wind up at a at a higher tier program and and better their chances at the NFL. Right. From a football perspective. Right. Um, And it's also going to relieve, I think, a lot of stress from a recruiting standpoint. Um, It's going to you're going to start seeing the market for players and you're going to and you're going to see discussions about uh, uh college football athlete market value, you're going to see that grow and evolve into something, I think, beyond what certainly beyond the conversation we're having right now, because you'll actually be able to see the market for certain players, because you'll see how many schools after a freshman year or a sophomore year and one or two years of a lot of production at a smaller school, you'll see how many of the bigger schools start coming after these kids that maybe didn't want them coming out of high school. Okay. So you, 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 
you, you need to you need to look at that. And I think that possibility is tremendous. What you're also going to get is you're going to get the fan side of it. And these fans are going to sit here and they're going to say, well, these kids are petulant and they are they're ungrateful. And I can't believe they're leaving my program. And and then just generally, not necessarily my program, but fans of college football generally will say, oh, these kids are just they're using these schools as stepping stones and. Uh, again, there's general, you know, this is indicative of a bigger problem with a gen, with, you know, with the generation and, and, and BS. Okay. Um, what this is indicative of is players being aware of the fact that there's a market for their services and understanding their value. Um, listen, the NCAA right now, division one football primarily is the only path to the NFL for these guys. Why would, why wouldn't they, and why shouldn't they be able to take advantage of a system that allows them to level up to a higher tier program, to a better program and give them a better shot at getting drafted. Why wouldn't they do that? Why shouldn't they do that? In what, in what other, in what other industry would we allow that to happen? Right. Your first answer is every industry. Well, the reason why, why things like why those types of restrictions exist in other industries, John, this is your point. Non-competes. Well, non-competes are a product of employment. You're telling me these players aren't employees. Therefore, there shouldn't be restrictions on them because they are not employees. You shouldn't subject them to what amounts to a de facto non-compete in their contract, which is their scholarship, right? So fan blowback to this is, is going to be what you hear all the time. Their players are ungrateful. They're using the system and you know they're not happy where they're going. You know They're not happy where they landed because they don't want to compete. So they're going to go somewhere where it's easier. Well, maybe not. Maybe they went somewhere that was a lower tier program. They killed it with the expectation that if I do kill it as a freshman or a sophomore and I, and I, and I up my value, maybe then I can transfer to a bigger program and get more NFL eyeballs on me and give myself a chance to actually make money at this thing one day. Um, I think that's a very real possibility. So also something to, to be on the lookout for because of this, I'm very excited. I'm fired up about this. I think it's a great rule change and should have been done 20 years ago. Absolutely agree with you there, man. So EJ, let's start wrapping this one up, but I wanted to get your response to Mike's point about the fans that are going to decry this and, you know, make those comments about the players being selfish. And I do think that that's something that you will definitely see happen amongst the mini college football fan bases. What would you say to those fans in response to those complaints? I have a, I have a couple responses to that, but the one I'm going to choose to say is that (laughs) (laughs) because I was going to create another slippery slope, but yeah, well, um, what what, one involves them going and doing something to themselves. (laughs) So (laughs) I, 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 what I would say to the fans is that let's say you, you were working like and kind of building off Mike's point. If you were working somewhere and you weren't getting paid or you weren't getting treated the way you wanted to, or things weren't working out the way that you wanted them to work out. You have every right to send out your resume and set up interviews and try to find another place of a place to work. If, if, if a student goes to a school and let's just say these issues aren't even athletic because to be perfectly honest with you, some like a lot, a lot of athletes that are coming out these days aren't pigeonholed as just athletes. Like I forget the guy's name that was the offensive lineman um, for the Ravens that was super smart. Then you have guys like Myron Roll or Road Scholars. What if a guy goes to a school 
thinking, not knowing what he wants to major in. And he's like, oh, all of a sudden I want to be an engineer. I want to be this. I want to be that. And he transfers to a school simply for an academic thing. Like there, there are so many different possibilities. As a fan, you can't selfishly want someone to limit their options. If you're a true, true, true fan of college football, then you'll love this rule because one is going to be more parity and two, it's empowering the athlete more so ever. This is the only real, this is the only thing I think that as student athletes that they, we will have the power to make a decision on post signing day, post that commitment, because once you commit to a school, you no longer can make any decisions. You, 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 you have no longer have no control. Once you sign that national letter of intent, you relinquish, you relinquish most of your freedoms to make choices for yourself anymore. So as a fan, I would say, if you're a true fan, be a true fan and support this rule. Very well put, man. I definitely agree with you there. All right, guys, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. We will talk again soon as the winter workouts do really get into full force. And you guys can hopefully bring up some more fond memories of puking into buckets because that sounds like so much fun. Bobby Rum. Bobby Rum's been puking in buckets. <laughs> you mean you mean Coach Rome? I mean Coach Rome who's killing. Oh yeah, coach shout out to Coach Bobby Rome who's, who who turned around Rome. that program. Yeah, he he turned around that program of Virginia University of Lynchburg, which is known as the worst college football in the in the country. Now they didn't blow it out of the water with, with a bunch of wins, but he did beat. Uh, I think it was Bethune Cookman or some school that had beaten them. I think the last some odd years they had went. I think thirty something games. Uh, 30-something games played without winning a game, and he he turned that program around. He has some excitement around that program, so just wanted to use this chance to give him a shout-out. Don't know if he'll hear it or not, but... <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he does listen to the podcast, but that will go ahead and wrap this one up. To everyone listening, we do appreciate it, and we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.